Cards win! The Cards win! They walk them off! The Cards win! And they see new life here in Omaha! You're listening to the 3rd and Central Podcast, powered by the state of Louisville. Now, here's Matt McGavick. Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to yet another episode of the 3rd and Central Podcast a podcast solely dedicated to the University of Louisville baseball program hosted on the State of Louisville Network. Like always, this is Matt McGavick, Deputy Editor of Louisville Report and your co-host, and as always, joined alongside uh, Cardinalsports.com contributor Matt Sikovic. Matt, how are you doing today? Hi, Matt. I'm doing well. It's Easter evening as we're recording this right now. Louisville came off with a series victory over Wake Forest this weekend, so things are going well as we head into rivalry week against Kentucky. Yeah, and, and, and spoiler alert there, yeah, it's it's now officially Kentucky week. That's right. Louisville just came off a, a series win over Wake Forest. They they were trying to go for the sweep, couldn't quite get that done, but they still came away with the series, and now with Wake Forest in the rearview mirror, they're now fixing their eyes on the Kentucky Wildcats. That's, it's, uh, for those who don't know, uh, Louisville plays Kentucky twice each season, the kind of a home-and-home home during the midweek. Uh, this first game against Kentucky coming up is going to be at home, so they're going to be playing at Jim Patterson Stadium, and they'll be playing at, at Kentucky Proud Park in about two or three weeks. I don't have the exact date there, but we'll get to that when that gets there. First, we have the home iteration of the Battle of the Brute. The home iteration of the Battle of the Bluegrass, excuse me, that is going to take place this upcoming Tuesday. We're recording Sunday night, so just in a couple of days, it's going to be on Tuesday, April 6th, 6 p.m., and it's going to be on TV. I know a lot of people have been messaging me about, hey, is the game on TV? Is the game on TV? Is the game on TV? And then I reply, well, technically, but you got to stream it. Well, don't got to worry about it this time. If you got ACC Network, you can watch the game. And then on top of that, if, you, if you're not in front of a TV, you can always just tune in to 93.9 The Ville. As always, you can listen to the immaculate voice of Sean Moth describe perfectly everything and anything going on at Jim Patterson Stadium. But uh, before we kind of go into that game, I just want to give a quick recap of some of the, kind of the stuff that happened uh, between the last time we spoke and leading into this game against Kentucky. Louisville started off heading up to a really crucial series uh, at Notre Dame uh, was kind of hoping to see who could potentially come out with a series victory in there because heading into that, it was a top 20 uh, top 15 series pardon. And uh, a funny bit of trivia that was actually the first top 15 series at Notre Dame's stadium. So it was a big series for both. And uh, well, we didn't really get to find who won or lost the series because well, they, uh, they only played two games. Uh, Louisville took game one. Notre Dame took game two to snap a decade-plus losing streak to Louisville. And then game three came around, and Notre Dame decided, you know what? It's too windy outside. Let's just, let's just scrap the game. And so they uh, that game ended up getting postponed. It's the verbiage that uh, Louisville used. I still think it's going to get outright canceled because I don't see them trying to just schedule in one standalone ACC game. But I'd, I would love to eat my words. I'd love to see this team get more games and because who wouldn't want to watch more baseball? But I digress. Uh, that series is kind of at a, a 1-1 split now. And then they followed it up with uh, another road trip to a UC that, uh, quite frankly, Matt, I would uh, kind of like to put that one in the rearview mirror. The bullpen did not have a very, very great night. Uh <laughs> Louisville ended up losing in extras. I believe it was their first extra innings game of the year, uh, 13 to 12, 13 to 12 at Cincinnati. Cincinnati is not terrible, but they're not great either. So that's not, that's not exactly a, a good 
mark on Louisville's overall like NCAA tournament resume. It's not going to knock them out of the tournament or anything. No, not by by any stretch. But whenever you, ha- you pull up that blurb on the side panel, you're watching TV and Selection Sunday comes up and you see, you know, the bad loss section, that you say that you see loss is definitely going to be up there because that, that, that was awful. But then Louisville kind of rallied back with a series win against Wake Forest. Yeah, they, they were denied the sweep uh, today, but hey, it's still a series win in ACC competition. So I think you'll take that any day of the weekend twice on Sunday. Yeah, I, you know, I think going into the Kentucky game this week, coming off a series victory against Wake Forest, you know, I think confidence has got to be high, especially with the weekend Kentucky head. So, um, you know, definitely looking forward to the week ahead against Kentucky. Absolutely. Now, let's kind of uh, fixate our eyes on Kentucky. Let's take a look at their overall body of work, their their resume, so to speak. I know it's kind of early in the season to be talking about, you know, resumes and whatnot. But since we're dedicating most of this episode to a single game, this, like I said, it's going to be a midweek game, a midweek game, excuse me. It's not going to be a three game series. So, uh, we're just going to take a deeper dive into this one game. So overall, the season, Kentucky is a pretty solid squad, honestly. I know in the last couple seasons, they've had a couple kind of down years ever since that 27, uh, 2017 team that came into Louisville in the Super Regional. Uh, they actually were hemorrhaging a lot of players left and right for a while there. But then uh, uh, skipper Nick Mangion kind of had a rebound, I think, 2019 it was before the uh, not 2019 2020 before covid shut down everything and now they've kind of got things back in the right direction now they're sitting at 18 and 7 overall 5 and 4 in the sec now that, that's not that might jump out to a lot of people but the sec is loaded year in and year out matt you and i both know that the sec as much as the as as good as a baseball conference as the acc is i think if you ask like most college baseball uh, fans and diehards like who is typically the best conference year in and year out it's typically the sec because they're just absolutely loaded from top to bottom of talent so a five and four mark in the sec is isn't that bad they've got a three and three record on the road which i mean it's, it's not great not terrible i mean it's it's 500 and they're 15 and four at home so whenever whenever the series goes to goes to their place it might uh we might be on upset alert there, but since they're just three and three on the road, I, I you'd have to like Louisville changes based on that alone. Uh, taking a look at some of their wins, they've got mid, a midweek win to start the year at Miami of Ohio, three game sweep over Milwaukee, EKU, Evansville. Their worst loss, or one of their worst losses, is probably their their first th- uh, their second three game series of the season. That was uh, when they hosted Ball State. They ended up losing that series. One against DKU had another sweep against Georgia State. They also lost to Murray State, so I guess that's one thing they have in common. Then they went, then they hosted Missouri for their SEC opening series. They ended up coming out with a series win, so that's always a good mark for them. One against Butler, and this is this next one here is what I think is probably one of their most impressive uh, marks in the season so far. They marched into Auburn, which is not an easy place to play at. Now this is a little bit of a down Auburn squad. They're they're just one game over one game under 500 as of right now, but they went, but Louisville, uh, Kentucky went to Auburn and swept them. And Auburn typically has a, a relatively solid program and going on the road and sweeping anyone in SEC competition. is not easy at all. So that, that that's pretty impressive there. Then after that, they had a, a midweeker against Bellarmine. They only won that four to three. So I don't know how you go from sweeping Auburn to barely sweeping out a win against Bellarmine, but Hey, that's baseball for you. And then heading into this uh, midweeker with Louisville, they uh, they went down to Mississippi State, the number five team in the country, 
And they didn't have the same luck against Auburn. They actually got swept themselves. But, I mean, it's Mississippi State. Dudley Noble Field is uh, traditionally one of the hardest places to play in all of the nation and not just the SEC. And one of my favorite stadiums in all of college baseball. So that's it would have been nice. It would have been nice for them to see maybe get at least one one out of there. But there's no shame in getting swept to, um, to Mississippi State in their place. No, when you look at their SEC wins over two games over Missouri and then sweep in Auburn, you know, Missouri's three and six in the conference right now. And like you said, Auburn's having a down year. They're just one and eight in the conference after three series. But going to Mississippi State and getting swept is that's no shame. And the first game they got beat eight to one. So Mississippi State handled them fairly well. But in games two and three of the series, Kentucky just lost by one run. And they actually had a couple chances in those games to get the tie and run on or even win the game. Now they didn't capitalize, but you know, they had the opportunity there. So I think this Kentucky team can do some damage. They don't have the best resume to date as far as wins, but give them a little bit of time and let them keep winning. You know, this team could make some noise in the postseason. Oh, yeah, they absolutely can. In fact, uh, right now, because of their relatively, you know, soft non-conference schedule, it's only at 118 of the conference. But when you play like some of the top 25 teams in the nation on a nearly weekly basis, that'll get bumped up. And they've they've actually got an RPI ranking of 63rd, which is not too far off of Louisville's mark of 56. So, uh, I mean, for all intents and purposes, that it, these are relatively even teams from like a statistical standpoint and whatnot. And especially when you uh, look at some of the hitters on their squad, I mean, if if we thought Louisville was having a good year at the plate, I mean, Kentucky's got a lot of, you know, really good hitters themselves uh, as a team. They're batting 285. I mean, because of their series, they of because their series at uh, Mississippi State, they kind of took a, a beating there, but they're still batting 285. They have an on-base percentage of 374, which is also pretty good, and a slugging percentage of 458. So those are all really good marks across the board from a slash line perspective. And then they've got five starters, regular starters that are batting 300 or higher. It's the same exact mark as Louisville. And they've also got two guys who have an OPS over 1.1, which, you know, as you and I both know, having an OPS over one is something you typically want to shoot for if you're like a truly elite player in the conference. And they have two of those guys. There's there's, there's nothing to sniff at. And um, I think the conversation there kind of starts with TJ Collett. He doesn't have the best BA on the, on the squad. He's got a, he's batting 302, but, when you couple that with a slugging percentage of 674, nine home runs, 29 RBI, and 13 walks, all of which lead the team, I think he can live with a batting average that's just a, a couple ticks over 300. And then I think their second best player, which is the other guy who's got an OPS over 1.1, is Colton Kessler. He's got the highest B, BA on the team at 438. His slash line to fill that out is an on-base percentage of 550, that which does lead the team. And typically when you've got someone with a really high on-base percentage, they don't have a typically a very high slugging percentage, you know, typically you're either a power hitter or a, or a four-contact hitter. No, nope, this guy seemingly does it all because he's coupling that with a, a, a 604 slugging percentage. Now, to be fair, he he joined the lineup a, a couple couple weeks into the season. He's only started 14 games as opposed to TJ Collett's 25. But, I mean, he's, he's already shown in his short time, you know, being a regular starter that – he, he's definitely got the bat to make some serious noise. And TJ Clett, the thing about him is he can change the game in one swing of the bat. He kind of reminds me of Cavadas from Notre Dame. You know, he, like you said, he's mm. got 29 RBIs on the season. The second guy on the team has 20. So he's well above this um, John Rhodes, who has 20 on the team, well above the guy that's right behind him on the team. So 
this is somebody Louisville's really going to have to put a lot of focus on how you pitch him or pitch around him. He's a guy that you don't want to let him beat you individually on Tuesday night. And and something that uh, UK has, you could make the argument that Louisville doesn't is that they've got some solid pitching, you know, all around as good as their hitting is you could make the argument that uh, that uh, UK is pitching could probably be their best unit on the team uh, as a team. They have a 3.08 ERA, which is solid. They've got a 1.18 whip. And um, we're not going to get into the starting rotation because obviously Louisville's not going to face UK starting pitcher. So we're going to go over a couple of midweek pitcher options. Um, they would normally throw out uh, Ryan Hedge now, but actually in their series against Mississippi State, I believe it was in game two, um, their start, their normal weekend starter, Mason Hazelwood, he suffered an arm injury. And it was later determined that he's now out for the year. So UK's normal midweek guy has now been elevated to the weekend rotation. So now there's there's kind of a bit of a question mark as to who Kentucky is going to throw out in that midweek option. So there's there, there's two that there's two other pitchers on the roster who have had a start this season. And I'm going to start with the one who uh, recently had a uh, the who started the last midweek contest excuse me and that's right-hander Alex Deegan he's got a 4.5 ERA and just three appearances and one start nothing too impressive four innings pitch three to two walk to, uh, strikeout to walk ratio I mean nothing really kind of jumps out there but another option they could seriously consider is another right-hander in Austin Strickland he, he's probably got no, not, not even probably got better stats. He does have better stats. He's got an ERA just under three at 2.92, seven total appearances, one start on the year, 12.1 innings pitch, and he's got 20 strikeouts to six walks. So if I'm Nick Mangione, I would probably seriously consider throwing out Strickland based on what he's done so far. But you never know. He, he could try and establish consistency in his rotation because up to that point, I'm pretty sure that they hadn't deviated from their weekend to midweek starting rotation up until the injury to Hazelwood. And honestly, with the importance of the game on Tuesday night, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw a combination of Strickland and Deegan. If he somehow, you know, started one of them, gave them a handful of innings, and then, you know, switching the fourth or fifth to the other guy, see if he can kind of close things out. So there's a good possibility we could see both of them on Tuesday. Right, because th- those bullpen games, as you and I both know, those are typically – well, no, let me rephrase that. You and I both of those midweek games are typically bullpen games because, you know, you want to try and get your uh, as many pitches as you can, usually some more experience. but We'll we'll see. I mean, recently those kind of games haven't really fared too well for Louisville because the <laughs> they've not bull, bullpen's kind of been um, struggling a little bit to say the least. But I'll I'll get into that a little bit later. And uh, speaking of the bullpen, Kentucky's got some some solid relievers, some really solid relievers, and more than just one. They've got uh, three relievers who have an ERA under two point six, which is really good, and they've got five with with the ERAs under three point five. So not only do they have a trio of really high quality options, but Say if any one of those three, they get exhausted and UK for some reason has to go like their fourth and fifth options. They've, they've still got some arms. And what if uh, Louisville does happen to knock Kentucky's starter out of the game, uh, some of the relievers that were that uh, Louisville could probably see are right-hander Daniel Harper, left-hander Dylan Marsh, and then right-hander Seth Logue. Harper is probably the best reliever on the team. He's got a one ERA in just nine innings pitch and an eight to four strikeout to walk ratio. But then as for the other guys, who's, who's got a little bit more action under their belt. Marsh's got 12 innings pitch. Logue's got two, uh, 10, and, 10 and two outs, excuse me. 
But then Mar- Marsh has a 15 to three strikeout to walk ratio. And then Loke has an 18 to five strikeout to walk ratio. So while technically Harper has the better ERA and it's given up less runs, Marsh and Loke have serious strikeout power. So no matter how you slice it, uh, whoever Mingion decides to attack Louisville's hitters, they, they, they've got some serious arm talent to contend with. Yeah, and I think this is a game that Louisville's going to really want to jump on their starting pitcher early and often because once this thing gets turned over to the bullpen, if Louisville's facing a deficit, it's going to be harder to come from behind because the quality of arms that Kentucky's going to throw at them towards the latter part of the game. So I think Louisville's really got to jump out early, put a lot of pressure on Kentucky because if they wait till later in the game, they may not have near the opportunities they have at the beginning of the game. Exactly. And before we transition into the rest of the episode, I actually once that you actually stole my thunder. I was going to say, let's establish some keys to this game. What is something that some bullet points that Louisville absolutely has to do if they want to escape with a win? And I think that starts with establishing command early because there have been a few games recently where Louisville just kind of let their opposition take take the lead. But I mean, Louisville, Louisville has the bats to where they can come back. But if they have another game like today's series finale against Wake Forest where they don't score until the eighth inning, that's that's not going to cut it in more often than not, especially in a midweek game where they are historically like doesn't matter what baseball program you are like midweek games are typically barn burners because no offense to the to the pitching staff across college baseball. The talent's usually not as good for the midweek games, so Louisville needs to jump out in front. If not jump out in front, at least be aggressive and try and be the one who gets on the scoreboard first. Because if they find themselves in a hole, say, I don't want to say one run because they can overcome a one run deficit easy. But if UK opens up the first two, three innings with a three or four run advantage, and then Louisville starts to progress to the middle innings and they're starting to struggle to, to put those hits together like they were in the beginning portion of the season. I think it's going to be really difficult for them to try and come back because they tried doing it, like I said, in the series finale against Wake Forest, and it was just too little too late. Yeah, and I think another thing that's going to be important against Kentucky is just, I know it sounds really simple, but just throwing strikes. And it's something that the pitching staff has struggled with this year. You know, to date, our pitching staff has walked 123 batters, and we've only drawn 119 uh, walks as a when we're at the plate. So I think that's something we got to put a lot of focus on. You know, this isn't a Kentucky team that you want to give a lot of free passes to because they'll make you pay, especially if it's, you know, anywhere near where Colette's batting, he's going to make you pay for it. So you have really got to throw strikes this game and make Kentucky swing the bat. Don't give them any free passes. Absolutely. No matter, no matter what happens, whether it's going to be a pitch, uh, a pitcher's duel, or if it's going to be a barn burner. I think, I think it's going to have the potential for a really exciting game. These are two, it's not going to be like it has been the last couple seasons that they faced off Kentucky where Louisville is clearly the superior team. I think it's going to be a more evenly matched game. I still think uh, overall talent wise from top to bottom on the roster, I, I, I think Louisville still has the, the slight edge here. But I I wouldn't say it's a very clear advantage. I think Louisville should win the game, especially since it's at home. But since since Kentucky has been so good at home this year, when they go to Lexington later this season, I can easily see the series get split down the middle. But uh, that's just me. So I am predicting that Louisville wins this game. I want to say eight to seven. I think there's going to be a lot of runs scored. I. 
I even though I said they need to jump in front, I think Kentucky jumps in front first, like like a lot of Louisville opponents have. But I think Louisville has enough firepower to overcome that and maybe come down, uh, come on down the stretch. Who uh, who are you who are you liking in this game? Well, I must say, if it was a weekend series, I would have a lot more confidence in Louisville. You know, if we had Kieran on the mound and Albany's healthy and then seed on Sunday, I'd feel a lot more confident in this game. But since it is a midweek game and our pitching staff has struggled this year during midweek games, um, I still like Louisville, that being said. But I I think we're going to need to score at least 10 runs to win this game because I think Kentucky's going to come in and be pretty aggressive. But I think Louisville wins the game. I agree with you on that. I think it's probably going to be 10-7, 10-8. But I I think it's going to – I think we'll need to score around 9-10 runs to win the game. Well, we'll see what's going to happen. That game is coming up on Tuesday, April 6th at 6 p.m. It's going to be airing on the ACC Network, so you will not need the ESPN app or any other streaming service to watch the game. You can watch it on cable television. If you're not going to be near a television, you just have your trusted radio, you'll be able to listen to that on 93.9 The Ville. And before we transition into the next part of the episode, I just want to say that if you are trying to get a ticket to this game, uh, Louisville recently announced that, unfortunately, there are no free and available single game or additional season tickets left. They did try and get permission from the governor's office to increase capacity, which technically they did get permission, but because of the way that the Jim Patterson stadium seats are set up, they could not uh, find or figure out a configuration that would allow them to get more people in. So while they did get permission to up their uh, capacity, I'm not sure what the exact number was, but they, they couldn't make it happen to where more people can come in. So unfortunately, and barring some sort of scalper putting something up on StubHub or Vivid Seats or something like that, more often than not, if you if you don't have a ticket now for this game, you're probably not going to get in, which which sucks. But I think that that's just the nature of what this season is. I'm I'm knock on wood. Hopefully, it gets to back to normal next season. We can have a a full Jim Patterson Stadium and maybe set some attendance records since a lot of people are having are unfortunately getting to miss out on some some quality baseball this year. But like I said. April 6th, 6 p.m., AC Network. Don't miss it. Now let's transition into the next part of the episode. So Louisville's now played 25 games, 26 games, sorry. So, and since they have a 51-game schedule for all intents and purposes, we're at the midway point of the season. So, and we've, we in the last few episodes, we've talked kind of ad nauseum about some re- reviews and how players are doing. So instead of just rehashing that for a fourth straight episode, we're going to give out some midseason grades and it, it, we're not going to overcomplicate it. We're just going to divide it by hitters and pitchers. So at 20, at this 26 game market, roughly the halfway point, this is how Louisville's hitters are doing. They've got a 296 batting average. Pretty good. An on-base percentage of 393. Pretty good. And a slugging percentage of 473. You know, decent. They have, have 20, they have 29 home runs as a team. They've got 50 doubles, 10 triples. They've gotten a lot of triples over the last couple of weeks. And for me, this is this is the kicker here. 74 stolen bases. I haven't had a, check, uh, a chance to check the updated numbers because the NCAA is not going to update the, uh, the numbers until Monday morning and we're recording on a Sunday evening. But I would be willing to bet that that's still tops, if not second or third in the nation like it has been all year. And I'm... I've said this before. We know Dan McDonald teams are privy to the stolen base. It's no secret. I mean, they've they they play small ball like the like the best of them. But this squad's got wheels. This squad's got wheels like no other Louisville team I've ever seen before. Not in a while, at least. So 
when it comes to the hitters overall, when, when including their ability to get on base, I would give them an A minus. And the only reason I do not upgrade that to like a solid A or even an A plus, because, you know, when you're batting just a couple of six under 300, that's pretty damn good. The only thing that's given, preventing me from giving them an A plus is because they still at times struggle to hit with runners in scoring position. They've gotten a lot better than uh, they were in the beginning of the season where they were like 18 for 84 to start the season or some abysmal stat like that. But there are still some times where they'll either A, struggle to string the necessary hits to get her to, to crack the scoreboard first, or when they'll get someone on second or third and they'll just strand the runner. Now, I know that that's common in baseball. You're going to do that often. But it still seems like this, this team does it at a higher clip than what they should be given the talent on the roster. But more often than not, they've got the bats that are going to send those guys home. So overall, I, I feel fairly confident on there, and I'll give them an A-. minus. What about you? I think the biggest thing about the stolen bases, you touched on a little bit. Like you said, the stats have not updated and will not till tomorrow. But Louisville right now is sitting at, like you said, 74 stolen bases. Last time the stats were updated, they had 66. Just for comparison's sake, the next Power 5 school – was Texas with 40. (laughs) So, and they are 13th in the country. In between them, it's all smaller schools. So I think that's pretty impressive that, um, you know, Louisville is that far ahead of the second-ranked Power 5 school behind them. But I agree with you. You look down the offensive numbers this year, and the biggest thing this year has been just driving runners in, uh, leaving runners stranded. Like you said, it happens. um, But it seems like this team – and they have improved since the beginning of the season when they started off at a um, much lower rate. But I think just taking advantage of those opportunities. But I agree with you, probably somewhere out around an A, A minus is where I would rank them right now midway through the season. And that's, that's, prob- that's the highest grade they're going to get because when we get to the pitching staff, it's, it's, it's not an A, I can tell you that much. Yeah. And, and to be fair, it's, it's not the entire pitching staff's fault. Because first, before I get into that part, let's get into the staff as a whole. Louisville's pitching staff has an ERA of 4.21. It's not horrible, not good. I mean, it's it's above average. I'll give them that. A whip of 1.41, that's okay. They average 9.4 strikeouts per nine innings, which is pretty good. But then to counter that, they give away 4.8 free passes per game. They're... And they, they don't give up the hits nearly as much. I don't have that stat readily available in front of me because, like I said, the stats haven't updated yet. But And this has been a problem for for Louisville for a couple years now that I've, I've noticed this trend is that th- this pitching staff, for some reason, gives up walks at a higher rate than what the talent suggests they should be. But the 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 shining the shining part about this pitching staff is that Louisville's starters – whoever they throw out there because this, the the starting rotation has been in flux almost since day one. And it hasn't been some of these guys fall because like we've touched on in the past, Glenn Albanese, he got COVID came back, had an injury. He's about to come back soonish. And then they've kind of had a couple guys bounce in and out. Adam Elliott started in the starting rotation. Now he's back in the bullpen. Michael Kirian went from a closer and now he's the Friday night starter Luke Seed went from a midweek guy, and now he started two Sundays in a row or two Saturdays in a row, something like that. 
And Luke, Luke Smith, who started in the starting rotation, went from Sunday, had a couple midweek outings, and now as of this past Wake Forest series, is now back on the starting rotation. So I know we, we mentioned before the season started, there was going to be a lot of moving parts and a lot of uncertainty due to COVID. And the starting, the starting pitchers have certainly experienced that for better or for worse. But to their credit, no matter who the starter is, they more often than not have gotten the job done. Because out of the starting pitch, starting outings, uh, which is they've the starting pitchers have logged 109.2 innings. No matter who the starter is, they've given up 37 earned runs for an ERA of 3.04. Now, a, a better way to look at that, look at that is that the starter is only giving up three runs, which is a quality start. That's something you want for a, a starting pitcher to do if they're averaging a quality start. I think most managers will take that more often than not, right? And now, no, I, go ahead. I was, I was, I say, I 100% agree with that. You know, the the starting rotation has done a really good job this year. They've done their part, but it's like you said. I mean, we're going to kind of transition over to the bullpen here in just a second, and you can kind of dive mm-hmm. into those numbers. Yeah, and then the bullpen they they've pitched a total of 121 relief innings, giving up 71 earned runs. And that works out to an ERA of 5.28. So to break it down, Louisville's starters. They averaged three runs per game, uh, pre, three earned runs per game, excuse me, per nine innings. And then the bullpen comes close to doubling that once once the starter is yanked. Those are not good numbers. And it's not been like one or two fluky appearances. This has been a consistent thing for the better part of the season. Now, there, there's been a couple of standouts in the pen, like, Adam Elliott, and even he struggled at times a little bit, but a, a couple of those inflated stats for him because of the two starts that he had, especially when he just absolutely got shellacked down at Georgia Tech. Mm-hmm. But then beyond him, uh, beyond the one relief uh, appearance that Michael Kirian has, there's not a lot of quality relief uh, arms, at least when you look at this number statistically-wise on this staff. The only one that uh, you could really say who's established himself as even a, a a good reliever, not even an elite relief reliever is Caleb Corbett. And he's a freshman He uh, in his, in his first year at the collegiate level, he's got a 1.04 ERA. And up until that Cincinnati game, he hadn't given up an earned run all season. His very first time giving up an earned run in college didn't come until the n- near the end of the second month until his 11th appearance. So, and he gave up a couple of runs. Yeah. That ended up giving Louisville the loss. But I mean, at that point, there were 11 other runs that the, that uh, the pitching staff gave up at to that point. So I don't want, while technically he was credited with the loss, I don't think you can fully pin that on him. And then look, 20, 23 strikeouts to five uh, walks. And he's truly got some really good numbers, but Beyond that, there's not really anyone else. And Adam Elliott, like we've said, he's kind of struggled a little bit. He's got a 4.08 ERA. Next person down, Tate Keener. He's he's had a couple of decent outings recently. He's uh, 4.86 with he his strikeout to walk ratio is pretty good though. It's 28 23 to eight. So it's it's while while it's it's very sinker swim. He's getting strikeouts, but he also has a chance to give up runs too. Then Garrett Schmelz five uh, 5.0 ERA. Jack Perpins 5.06 ERA. Evan Webster, he had a, he had a solid uh, relief I'd say though, so I'll give him credit on that. He's got an ERA of five point seven four. Seamus Barrens, who 
who is an option to start in the midweek against Kentucky, actually, since he already has one start on the season. 5.79 era, yada, 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 yada. The list goes on. Long story short, Loyola doesn't have a lot of arms in this bullpen that you can firmly say, I trust this guy to go get three outs, or I trust this guy to not give up a base runner in a crucial situation. And I think that's been the most frustrating thing this year is, you know, we get to the later part of a game and it, it almost seems like just kind of rolling the dice and putting somebody out there. If it's not to the eighth or ninth inning, we're putting Corbett in the game. You just never know what you're going to get. And we've talked about it a couple of times, you know, on paper, this team, you know, the talent's there. We know it is, you know, they've got the coaching staff. It's, it's just hard to pinpoint what it is. And I know this isn't all of it, but, and this doesn't allude to the earned runs, but so far this season, Louisville's already given up 24 unearned runs. That's not necessarily on the pitcher, but it puts a lot of pressure on them when they know the defense um, behind them is giving up that many errors. Right now, they are ranked about 190th in the country with a .965 ER or .965 fielding percentage. So that's got to improve, you know. And that fielding percentage has gotten better over the couple, past couple weeks. Right, and the, yeah, that's improved. So you know, when you when you throw pitchers out there that may not have as much experience because you've got a lot of COVID freshmen, so it's their second season, but didn't have a lot of game experience due to last year. Plus the freshmen, when you're throwing them out there and the defense behind them is making that many errors, it you know it, it, it really hurts their confidence. Um, they think they've got to throw a lot of strikes. So, you know, when they do, the defense is making errors behind them. They end up walking batters and, you know, the list goes on and on. It's just, it's a recipe for disaster. So I think it's something that we know Coach Williams can fix. I have a lot of trust in him. Um, but it's just, you know, we're getting to the point where we're midway through the season and uh, we, we got to find some answers. Right. And I, I guess we say all that. I know we said we're giving out midseason grades, so I'm going to get to that. The the reason that I don't give this pitching staff a lower grade than a C minus or maybe a, the C minus D plus line is because the starting rotation is doing fairly well, given everything that happened that has happened, because there has been injuries, there has been covid and the starting pitchers more often than not has has given Louisville enough time given Louisville's bats enough time to put some runs on the board and it's the bullpen that's just continuously just giving up runs like it's free candy like like we said the the bullpen is giving up more it has an ERA that is nearly double the starters so I'll I'll teeter on that D plus C minus line for the pitching staff I want to teeter towards D plus but I know that would do a disservice to some of the 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 truly elite guys on the staff so I'll, I'll say a C minus for now but it's a couple more bad appearances than that. I would give a grade much lower than that. Yeah, I think you're spot on. I think a C minus or D plus is probably where they are. And just because of a couple of the performances that we've had from guys like Kirian and Albany's, you know, like we said, Albany's been out a couple games with COVID and now injury. But when he's been in there, he's looked the part. Kirian has been nearly unstoppable this year. So we, we've had a couple really impressive uh, performances by a handful of guys but so they're really holding the pitching staff together now we've just got to get the other part in sync with the starters exactly and before we transition into the final segment of the episode uh kind of sticking with you know first half season recaps and first half season grades i want to give out uh first half mvps so to speak i know i've talked a lot about how much caleb corbett has been uh 
how valuable he has been to this pitching staff on a, on a staff that is desperate for some killer arms. I know it's easy to give the MVP to a position player or like say a Henry Davis and whatnot, but I would give my first half MVP to Caleb Corbett because if it would not for, uh, if it was not for him, Lord knows where this bullpen would be right now. This, this bullpen would be, if a whole lot worse than what it is now and it's already not in a in a great shape so and just to rehash his stats 1.04 era 0.87 whip 23 strikeouts to five walks and he's got four saves on the season he's kind of established himself as the the go-to closer i know there's been a couple other guys been inserted in save situations but he's kind of been like the main guy and he he's he's shown some stuff as a freshman now the thing is we just got to give him a hat that fits but uh, <laughs> but uh, I would my my first MVP thinking kind of outside the box I got to give it to Caleb Corbett. I think if I had to give my first half MVP, and I went with somebody on the pitching staff too. Um, I went with Michael Kieran. I mean, Kieran transitioned from the closer role last year to the Friday night started this year after Albany's had COVID, and then because of his performance, he they just left him in the Friday night role. But what he's doing for this team right now is he basically with a five and zero record. He's given us a win every Friday night, which means we just have to win. We have to piece one win together on Saturday and Sunday to win the series. And that's huge with the bullpen that we've got right now. So the fact that he's 5-0 and with a 2.12 ERA, um, a whip of 1.24, opponents are just batting 190 against him. So the fact that he is able to set the tone for the series early and get a win on Friday nights is huge, especially when you've got a pitching staff that is still trying to find their groove for the season. And something that's even more impressive for him, like just a season ago, he was still like the bona fide closer, kind of the role that Caleb Corbett is now, but he was the everyday, almost everyday closer. I think um, his stats before the 2020 season ended was like six save situations and like five or six saves. I, I'm pretty sure he got a save in every situation he was inserted in. And he he was lights out. He was on the preseason stopper of the year award watch list. Like, given the pace he was go, he was going at that year, I would be hard to imagine him not getting it. And then to go from someone who just gives it all you got, just like completely empties the tank in like five batters max, to go from that kind of guy to someone who can go eight innings deep with a no hitter like he did against NC State, that is impressive beyond measure because that is not easy to do. And I think what's funny about the whole thing is, you know, he was actually named to the preseason preseason stopper of the year again this year. So that's how much it goes to show that no one really knew what his role was going to be this year. Um, You know, no one on the national media. I don't even think Coach McDonald and Williams knew where he fit into the season until we got, you know, a few games in because he started the season as the closer again. You know, the first uh, his first outing this year, I believe, was a um, appearance out of the bullpen. So they, I don't think they knew where he was going to be, um, but he's really changed it, transitioned into the Friday night role very well for this team. Right. And, and the roles are still evolving up at this point. Now, I, I would think that they're a lot more settled and kind of scr- uh, penciled in at the halfway point of the season. But I'm sure there's still going to be a couple other guys who probably get switched up in the lineup a bit, whether that's in the field, on defense, in the lineup. Because I could still see Alex Manellis making a return at third base once he finally gets on a, gets a little bit more consistent. I know he's he's 
definitely broken out of his slump. There's no questioning that. But on, he, there are still some times where he kind of gets a little cold. Not, I mean, it's baseball. Slumps happen. But once he gets more consistent, I, th- I could easily see him going back over to third, ba- uh, third base. And maybe I don't know what that would do for Lucas Dunn because you can't put him in over at first. He's not a first baseman. So you'd have to put him somewhere in the middle of the infield. But then you got to replace either Cooper Bowman or Christian Napchek and you can't take Christian Napchek on a shortstop. He's doing really well. Now you could ask him to maybe kind of fix his throwing motion a little bit to prevent the, the throwing errors he's had a couple times, but that, that comes in due time. Uh, but th- there's, see, I'm already going down the rabbit hole when you move, make just one change. So that, that just shows how ever changing and ever constant some of these things are and why, why it was kind of hard to expect this team to have concrete roles heading into the season, because for multitude of reasons, whether that's injuries or COVID versatility was put at a premium more so more than ever. Cause I remember heading into the season, uh, one of the big reasons that Lucas Dunn came back was that uh, coach Mack was going to put him at shortstop a lot more <laughs> to showcase to the scouts. Uh, he was there for what a week, week and a half. Yeah. And now he's been at third base almost every day now. Right. So who knows where, where he's going to play in the field in the second half of the season. He might go back to the outfield. I mean, I'm pretty sure he's taken a couple uh, uh substitution reps late in the game in, in outfield when, when coach Mack is till, uh, toying with the lineup in late in game, but, but, but we'll see. And kind of, kind of to wrap up this episode, speaking of the second half of the season, I kind of want to end it on an open discussion of sort like, what do we want to see? in the second half of the season. Now it's easy to say, oh, we want more wins. We want a better team. We'll hit better. But I, th- I think I want to take a little bit of a deeper dive other than the more obvious. I think for me, I want to see more consistency from the pitching staff. And that's that's more than just saying, oh, the bullpen needs to get their crap together or the there needs to be a solid uh, a set rotation. But Someone in, like we've said, someone in the bullpen has to step up. They have to. If this team has any aspirations of Omaha, one, maybe multiple people in this bullpen has to step up because you're not going to make any sort of postseason noise when you're when the only trusty bullpen arms you have are Adam Elliott and Caleb Corbett. You're just not especially once you get, if you get to Omaha in the first place, because like you, you and I both know that historically some of the, the teams, once that gets to Omaha who make the most noise are the ones who have the better pitching staffs because TD Ameritrade park is a little bit bigger than your average college park. The outfielders are a lot more spread out. And so there's more room to cover for them and the fences are pushed back. So some of those power hitters who could play on some short porches throughout the year, they, don't typically see the numbers they put up. So you have to, if you have any aspirations to not only take home a title, get to Omaha, hell, even win a regional, the pitching staff has to be more consistent. It can't just be the starting pitchers uh, doing most of the legwork. The bullpen's got to step up. Someone else in the bullpen has to step up. Hopefully once Jared Poland eventually comes back from injury, I think that's going to be sooner rather than later, maybe in the next week or two. Hopefully he's able to give Louisville something right out, right off the jump because they they desperately need it. I think that's the biggest thing is the pitching staff right now because, like you talked about, you know, getting into the postseason and even in a regional, if you get into the um, losers bracket of regional, you can win. I mean, Louisville's done it before; they've come out of the 
uh, regional before. It was they a couple did it years in 2019. <laughs> I said in 2019, um, they got in the loser's bracket because they lost to Illinois yeah. State, and yeah. then they came back and they beat Illinois State twice um, to win the regional to advance. And that team ended up being the third place winner in Omaha. It's their right. highest finish ever. <laughs> and so it happens. You can do it. But if you get in that loser's bracket, there's one way to get out, and that's pitching. And that's it. And if this team gets it in the loser's bracket, my only concern is where the arms are going to come from to help us get out of it. Um, but on top of that, I think the um, biggest thing, and Matt, we've talked about before that I'd like to see the second half of the season is Levi Usher. You know, he was a preseason All-American, and he struggled a little bit this season. Right now he's batting 227, um, you know, 17 hits, uh, but he's got 26 strikeouts. So I think we really need him the second half of the season to step up. The biggest thing about Levi Usher, and I think we talked about this on the last episode, so I don't want to get too far into it, but he's got 21 stolen bases, and he's just batting 227. So, you know, he's leading the team in stolen bases right now but he's not getting on base a ton. So if we could get that average up, you know, even just a, you know, he doesn't have to hit, you know, 310 this year, just get it up to 275, 280. Imagine the damage that he could do on the base pass and the pressure he'd put on the other teams if we could get that average up a little bit. Right. I can't remember who who said this. It was, I think it was our Cincinnati Reds pitching coach or, or hitting coach or some coach on this, on the Red staff when, um, <clears throat> excuse me, when Billy Hamilton, the speedy outfielder was up there. He was kind of having the same problem. He could steal base just in his sleep. Couldn't get on base. Mm-hmm. And then one of the coaches, I won't forget this line because it made me crack up. It still makes me crack up. Went up to Hamil- Hamilton and said, Billy, you can't steal first. And and that's 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 it. So true. You, you, you've got to get on base, whether that's drawing walks, whether that's getting base hits. You can't you can't put yourself in a position to steal, <laughs> steal a base if you don't get on base to begin with. So while it's important to, you know, maintain uh, speed and acceleration and burst and, you know, reading pitches and whatnot, at the end of the day, to uh, kind of steal a money ballism, gets on base. You got to get on base. That's right. You got to get on base. I think it's easy right now as a fan to kind of get down on Benellis right now, too. But if you look at Benellis going into ACC play uh, against the series against Georgia Tech, he was batting 065. And, you know, flash forward to after this weekend against Wake Forest, his average has gone all the way up to 212. So, Benellis is really working his way out of the slump, um, and I think he's going to have a much better second half of the season. I really don't worry about him one bit. Yeah, in, in conference play, he's batting 259. He's got a slugging, a slugging percentage of 556 in conference play. So, and that's against top-tier ACC competition. Now, I know there's been a couple down teams in the mix, like NC State, who – it's traditionally a program who's in the mix to go to Omaha, but they they haven't had the season they're looking forward to. But you know, when when you're slugging that hard in in competition against like one of the best conferences in college baseball, you know you're you're doing something right there. So I, he'll he'll eventually get things turned around. It'll eventually start to reflect it more in the stats sheet. But I think fans just need to be patient on that one. Now, if he's if this kind of slump between him and Levi Usher starts to carry on into say early mid-may then there might be some cause for concern there yeah i, I really don't have any concerns about Benellis. you know he's a smart enough kid he, and he's turning things around so i i, I think he's just going to continue to rise the rest of the season and i mean he's i don't think he's going to end up with numbers like he did two years ago because his no. freshman season he went stupid so i don't i don't we're not you can't expect that halfway through the season but 
I think, you know, I think Manelis has turned the corner and I think he's going to have a monster second half. I certainly hope so, both for him and for the team, because Louisville needs it. Louisville's, I mean, they're a better team with Alex Manelis swinging a hot bat as hot as he is. I mean, he was a key part in them getting to the position they were in 2019. I mean, he he didn't have a, a terrific 2019 postseason, but he still came through in some situations. So a, a healthy and hot Alex Pinellas does good for Louisville. And a consistent pitching staff will do good for Louisville as well. Now, I think if combine those two or just get one of those two, I think it'll fare much better for Louisville in the second half of the season. Whether either of those come to fruition or maybe if both of those you know come to pass, we shall see. But this has been another episode of the Third and Central Podcast. As always, this is Matt McGavick, Deputy Editor for Louisville Report. You can find me on Twitter. My personal is at General Wasp. My work can be found at Louisville SI or at SI.com slash college slash Louisville. Matt, where can they find you? You can find me at cardinalsports.com or on Twitter at Matt Sefkovic. And recently on College Baseball Nation, um, Twitter is at College Ball Nat. And and shout out to you for that because I didn't I didn't realize you were starting to pick up work for College Baseball Nation until I actually read a couple of your previews. You're look at you you're branching out into the the national uh, college baseball landscape, and you're, you're doing a solid job over there. You're killing it, man. <laughs> I appreciate. It. I tell you, it has been a little strange because. You know, when I started this last year with CardinalSports.com, I've just done Louisville stuff since then. So researching other teams, um, it's kind of, you know, opened my eyes a little bit to what other schools are doing out there. So um, Louisville is definitely where my heart is, but I've enjoyed uh, learning more about other programs. Oh, yeah. I remember in 2019 when I was at the uh, ACC baseball tournament, you know, after Louisville had the O2 early exit, I had had the extra rooms at the hotel. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I might as well just continue to watch baseball. And the entire yeah. time I'm watching like conference championships all across the nation, kind of tracking uh, what various games are going to have on our Louisville's RPI standing and whatnot. And I really got to learn a lot more about kind of the, some of the other teams that were around Louisville's level and what the season they kind of had. And it, it was fun. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I, I know when I go down to, uh, to Charlotte for the ACC baseball championship this time around, I'm definitely going to do something similar. And I kind of hope that Louisville has a little bit of a longer stay this time, but <laughs> we shall see. There's a lot of baseball between, between here and the ACC championship and the postseason, depending on how far Louisville goes. We'll see how far they get there. But like I said, this is Matt McGavick. This joined by Matt Sikovic. This has been the third and central podcast, a Louisville baseball centric podcast hosted on the state of Louisville network. And in the immortal words of Sean Moth, we'll see you at the ballpark.